more than 4,000 graduate students in over 80 different programs of study. You guys are sort of all over the world, it seems like. It's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. Here on Inspiration Dissemination. But there's actually photographs of this data set stretching over a much longer period of time. They're now converted into basically mathematical shapes, and we can now analyze the statistics of this shape. Good evening, listeners. Good evening, listeners. Good evening. You're tuned in to 88.7 KBBR Corvallis. It's time for another episode of Inspiration Dissemination. I'm Joseph Valencia. And I'm Celine Ross. At Oregon State, we have more than 4,000 graduate students and postdoctoral fellows in over 80 different programs of study. And here at Inspiration Dissemination, we feature the research and personal stories of one of these students each week. If you're a graduate student or a postdoc at OSU and you're interested in coming on the show or you want to find out more about all the awesome things going on at Oregon State, check out our blog at blogs.oregonstate.edu inspiration, where you can find out all about our up-and-coming guests and links to our Twitter and pos- podcast pages. This episode of Inspiration Dissemination is recorded live, and tonight on the show, our guest is Elliot Icarus Lawrence. Elliot is a first-year MFA student in the School of Writing, Literature, and Film. Welcome, Elliot. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Elliot, we're so excited to talk to you tonight, and I'm always delighted when we get to have other writers on the show. As you know, we're in the same program here, uh, both MFAers. Um, so, Elliot, let me ask you the question that I know many writers think really hard about how to answer. What do you like to write about? That is the top question. Um, I like to write uh, what I've been saying to people as they ask me is, first off, really character-driven stories. But uh, above that, um, I like to write about poor people. Um, Some other experimental things, but um, I've uh, been really interested about writing about people in poverty. So um, what kind of before we get into more the, the themes that you, your work addresses, um, like what kind of format um, are, of, of stories are you most interested in writing? Yeah, I definitely like realistic fiction. I dabble a lot in short stories as in our workshops. That's sort of what they uh, would like us to do. But I definitely want to eventually write a novel, write a really longer piece. And why do you like to write about poor people? Yeah, I like to write about... Um, at least the in- stories that I'm interested in are stories about underrepresented people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a transgender person, um, gender fluid, bisexual. Um, um, I also am a veteran. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a uh, one of five kids to a single mother. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't see a lot of me out there when I look at media. Um, and then above that, I don't see a lot of... Um, of all of that combined, as well as people who are struggling with finances, um, and that just being a, a, f- a form of, of media that I don't see much. Um, and so I definitely want to put it out there so that we can you know, continue to do representation in a lot of different ways, class included. When we talked earlier this week, you made a distinction between the culture of poverty and then this uh, poverty culture. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so a little bit of the research, part of my research that isn't just me walking around and just telling stories, <laughs> um, is doing uh, like work on theories. 
Um, and I actually have a quote from this uh, idea of culture of poverty that was written by Oscar Lewis in uh, 1966. Mm-hmm. And since it is so old, a lot of people have debunked it. There's been a lot of back and forth about what this is. Um, but to basically have a summary, it the, the culture of poverty does not provide much support or satisfaction. Its pervading mistrust magnifies individual helplessness and isolation. Indeed, poverty of culture is one of the crucial traits of culture of poverty, and that's by Oscar Lewis. And so it's this idea that people who are in poverty, who have grown up in it, have parents who are had lived through poverty, um, are these like very hopeless and helpless and um, like lazy people who like want to live off government assistance um, that you know turn to a life of crime and, and drugs and these stereotypes of what people in poverty look like and act like. Um, and I want to, through my fiction, show that, you know, it is hard. It is very difficult. And there is a sense of helplessness and hopelessness that can be in poverty, mm-hmm. but that people who, you know, a majority of Americans um, who experience poverty at some point in their life are people who are very strong and are very brave and do want to break this cycle, no matter how difficult that the uh, that the higher government make it for them. So th- that vision of the culture of poverty that um, comes from that source that you quoted, um, is, is that something that you're mostly trying to um, counteract or, or move beyond if it's too simplistic or something like that? Absolutely. Um, in that quote, it noted that um, poverty of culture is one of the aspects of this culture, this attitude of poverty, um, and how people in poverty often don't find themselves uh, maybe involved in the community uh, due to any restraints that they may have or in this attitude that Oscar Lewis notes, like they just do not want to be involved in the community. But I want to write as poverty as a culture and how this, um, the way that we were raised, the way that we had to maybe like work a bit harder or go through different avenues that brings us together and that we can find community in that. Um, And so I want to write in those uh, just those situations that people find themselves in so that people, hopefully my readers, can find some sense of community in that. In the source that you quoted, um, I n- noticed that it's such an individ- individualistic um, bias mm-hmm. or or the blame, let's say. And instead, when we've talked earlier this week, uh, you've mentioned how a lot of living in poverty is relying on um, your family and your community, and there are systems of people coming together. And what do you want to make sure that is, wh- what do you want to make sure is represented in your stories that you haven't seen in other stories or in the prevailing notions of what it's like to live in poverty. Yeah, I want to note that it, one, is it's hard to be poor. Um, mm-hmm. They don't make it easy, especially people who live, um, who, who have to have food stamps, government mm-hmm. assistance, um, you know, the paperwork and the, the hoops that they mm-hmm. have people go mm-hmm. through. It's not something that, you know, if you were lazy, you just wouldn't be able to get that assistance because you wouldn't be able to meet your, uh, you know, turning your pay stubs on time, uh, go to interviews, um, it's, it's, it's a whole process. And also it, it's something that, you know, sometimes you need help with and you can lean on other people. Um, like if you think of like Facebook by nothing groups, like that's just a community of people who are like helping others, um, understanding that, you know, things are expensive. Um, and so I think that 
with my fiction, I want to just make a voice to those uh, people who are going through these, like, you know, almost everyday issues that they just, you know, maybe it's not so glamorous to talk about, but um, I think that it is beautiful to talk about. Do, do you have a concrete example that you could share um, from maybe one of your personal experiences or, or something from um, your circle that generated a, a story and how you decided that, like, what aspects of this um, situation or something that I could see being a story? Yeah, um, um, I am currently working on a piece called Canning with Grandma, um, and it's a piece about a little girl who um, she goes around and finds uh, aluminum cans, glass bottles with her grandmother to uh, uh, give to the recycling to get some money. And um, as somebody who does uh, have gone to the bottle drop, you know, it's only 10 cents a can, but for some people that, you know, even, you know, you spent eight hours, you know, that day just trying to look for cans and walking away with like $20. Sometimes that's really important for people. Sure. And I think that people uh, maybe won't understand that, that even though that it, it may look like a, you know, a, a deed that other people wouldn't do, that sometimes $20 for someone is really important. Um, and so, yeah, I just writing about those situations that may not be pretty for the outsiders to look at, but, you know, you know, the, the little girl has so much fun caning with her grandma, um, and that's a memory that she has. Um, so I just wanted to share stuff like that. As, yeah, yeah as, as someone who's had the privilege of being able, being familiar with your work and being able to read it really deeply, I am always astounded at how your your stories are character-driven, first and foremost. They're about people, and the details of their lives are specific to their situation, and often... Although you do have a wide variety in, yes. <laughs> in the realms that you do explore, um, which I'm always astonished by, by the way. Um, but I mean to just say that instead of things happening to these people, we're learning about these people creating action in mm -hmm. their lives. And I know that that's something that's really important to you, too. We talked earlier this week about the difference between like maybe like trauma gawking or like poverty gawking or these stories that talk that feature people living in poverty and kind of just feature every terrible thing that could happen mm -hmm. happening to them. Yeah. And what is different about your stories and how did they, how are they set apart from, from that kind of genre? Yeah. I think that there's like, like there are some really good um, media out there. I, th I think of like the, the Florida pot mm -hmm. project as, as an example of really good, like, what this could be a genre of poverty fiction of people who are in poverty that, but they, you know, we're all individuals. We all have our own struggles. Um, and that some people, some of their struggles just are added a ton, you know, it's just stacked with the fact that like we have to pay, uh, like we have to worry about our bills and living paycheck to paycheck is very difficult. And like what extra stuff can I do to make a little bit more money so we can get this done this month. Um, but I also think that, that like, people who like live in like poverty it's it can be an identity um but it also our identities are so much more mm -hmm. um and i think that I, I see that in myself i see that in members of my family um that you know you can be a poor person and it's just a struggle for that but you can also be you know, a singer you can also be you know, we can write stories about vampires, but, you know, mm -hmm. how do the vampires, you know, <laughs> pay their rent? Yeah, <laughs> um, and that's what I want to, uh, us to worry about is just having um, that idea that, like, for some people, 
like their wallet and how much money's in it is is in a constant thing they have to worry yeah. about is the texture of their yeah. lives and you also mentioned like you you are trans and sometimes you have trans characters in your stories mm-hmm. but you don't want a trans character's storyline to be like about how difficult it is to be trans absolutely um i think i i that's especially when we're talking about like characters that don't have a lot of representation mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. If we're looking at characters who are like you know middle class like white people, mm-hmm. their middle class white peopleness is not the the major point of the story. They can talk about other stuff. Mm-hmm. So I want to see stories about trans characters, um, about poor characters who, yes, this is a part of their identity, but this doesn't have to be the driven uh, the driving force of the story. It can be something else. It can be something you know exciting or ridiculous, um, but that we can just involve these people. So have you yourself ventured into any of those sort of like genre aspects of just within your own framework of poverty fiction, like working on a romance or working on a sci-fi? I think you mentioned to us um, just as offhand, if something you could you could imagine happening with this as a background theme. Absolutely. Yeah, I have. um, I've I've, as as Celine has mentioned, I've been a bit experimental uh, in my pieces recently, um, writing a little sci-fi about nuclear waste warnings. Um, was one of them. Um, and then writing, uh, I wrote a story about a sex worker. Um, and these, and I think that I always write and I want to have like a background of like the resources. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's one of the main things for me is that I, it's modern like American poverty is what I like, I like to focus on because there's no lack of resources here. Um, it's just the lack of the generosity to hand them out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that just keeping that in mind is, is when I'm writing is always kind of in the back of my head. Um, I'm currently, uh, for a bigger piece that I'm working on, it's about, uh, uh, some people who, um, have, it's like a true crime type thing, mm-hmm. but it is with people who are, uh, living in more of a, a poverty sense. But the major focus is this true crime that has gone on. Um, it's always just in the background though. Right. It sounds like what you're aiming to do is to fill out the lives of these people with details that are realistic to the experience of what it's like to live in poverty mm-hmm. and also give them enough space to be people, to yes. have all the needs and desires and tensions that every person and every character experiences. And I, I think that's one of my, my favorite things about fiction mm-hmm. um, is that there is room to do that. There's a lot of room to be able to give people and our characters these layers and to give our world these layers that, like, you know, all of so many, hopefully so many readers are going to be able to pick uh, the, the layer that they feel representative by and then be able to find a connection with that story. Shall we hear an excerpt? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this was actually the piece that got me here. Uh, so it's very uh, close to my heart. Um, it's called Warehouse Song. Um, and it's the full piece is a short story about a stubborn young woman um, who, after she witnessed her boyfriend, who she calls her man, uh, kiss another woman, uh, she moves out and takes their six-year-old daughter with them. Um, they live in their van while the mom overworks herself at a warehouse and uh, trying to save enough to get an apartment. Um, the warehouse is actually is a main piece of this. It's built in a cave, which actually uh, is based off a warehouse that I worked at during mm. the pandemic. Based uh, built inside this cave. Um, at the end of the story, after the mom becomes more or less 
brainwashed by this repetitive labor, she actually realizes that the daycare at the warehouse um, makes the children work as well, disguised as a game. So in this excerpt that I have, uh, readers can kind of see hints of this, but the mother is just too obsessed with her own work to notice. So, the work is not as frustrating as picking items, but it is as tiring. I fight with my joints, stiff and sore from work and sleeping in the van for so long. I pick up the work quickly and find a setting beat to it. The simple beat, slide, tape, stack molds into the rhythm of each song on my playlist and resonates in my head at all hours. Beep. I take my little girl Issa to the YMCA every other day. The membership belongs to my man. I'm always surprised to know he hasn't removed us from his account. I help my little girl Issa shower, then drop her off at the, the childcare room for the hour I'm allowed. I revel in alone time while I wash myself. I analyze the new shape of my body from my time at the warehouse. I think I like it. Slide. My little girl Issa tells, tells me more about her game when we are eating fast food in the van. She's a captain now, and she likes it much better. I tell her that she should let another kid be the leader, trying to begin a maternal lesson on taking turns. Her tiny face contorts into an expression I've never seen on her before. She scrunches her nose and angles down those thick eyebrows. She thinks that I'm wrong. Tape. My man calls. He's been calling, and I've been ignoring him. He leaves another voicemail. He knows that he messed up, but we need to talk. He says that I'm taking my logo Issa away from him. I don't call back, but if I did, I would tell him I'm not taking her away. He gave her to me. He put her inside my stomach, and I chose to let her cook until she came out a person. Guess he didn't know I had a no-return policy. Stack. With quick progression, I move ahead in order. I can't make eye contact with my coworkers. I remove many of them from their positions. I almost feel bad, but the cool breeze of the fan eases my mind. That was an excerpt from Warehouse Song yes. by Elliot Lawrence. And uh, what I love about this example, and you shared most of this story um, out loud in, in uh, one of our workshops, is that it illustrates really uh, specifically the idea that we've been talking about, which is that living in poverty is kind of like the texture or like the soundtrack of a lot of these characters' lives. Mm -hmm. And in this story, the beep, slide, tape, stack is almost like this literal re recurring melody or like motif or song that's playing in this character's mind, something that you can go about your day and you can experience your emotions and your frictions, mm -hmm. but you're still going to have that like thought ever-present. Yeah, and I think that's what I wanted the metaphor to be. I want it to be a very um, lyrical type of story but that this this work that this mother has to do not only does it you know affect her and how she thinks and how she moves and makes ideas, um, but it also affects her relationship with her daughter um, as her daughter is growing up, learning this this song um, as as the daughter's actually also working, uh, which the mother doesn't even realize until the end of the story that this daughter has been becoming obsessed with this this work this this hustle grind. Um, even though it's not really getting there them much, like they're not like getting like a lot of money from it. They get like uh, a very like a very uh, small one like bedroom apartment. They're so thrilled about it, even though mm -hmm. they've been working like so hard this entire time. Um, one thing I noticed in that passage was sort of the um, relationship between the speaker and uh, her man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so how how. 
is that maybe like a, a way to talk about how poverty can sort of change the dynamics of relationships? Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's like, I think that when money's always on your mind, and I think that also like, you know, the uber rich people also always have money in their mind, but mm-hmm. in a very different sense That's of it. That's a great point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's a very different way that it works. Um, is that versus like, how do like, it's, I feel like maybe for, and I, I wouldn't know, maybe for the very rich, it's always like, how can I get more money sitting on money? But for the poor people, it's like, not how can I get money? It's how can I pay this bill? Like, mm-hmm. what is the money doing here? Um, and I think that when you're, when you're faced with, you know, evictions and you're faced with um, like food scarcity and you're faced with like all of these different things, money does break people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that when, you know, just, against this culture of poverty it can also find a way to bring people together um when you're able to connect with each other people um yeah you you mentioned sort of maybe getting yourself in the mindset of what the rich people are up to and then earlier you mentioned uh this sort of uncaring aspect of of society in terms of how it treats poor people Mm -hmm. so is that often a presence or a theme within the stories too of like there's actually this active thing whether it's the government denying benefits or the uncaring public or whatever is that a major kind of conflict point in the stories yeah i think there's always that they that mm-hmm. like they are gonna do this and they're gonna take this away you know we, we never know who's in in charge up top um but there's always that that threat that they're gonna come down and take away what we have what little we have um, and so I think that's that's always a pressure, is that whoever is, is going to be able to have that power to take something away from you. I'd love to talk a little bit about your background and how you got here. And you mentioned before that a lot of these details from stories are drawn from your lived experience. And before we kind of talk about your specific background, do you find writing as a way of kind of like making sense or do you find it as a way of imagining or how do you think about writing when you're doing it yeah I've described my writing as taking a situation that I've either been in I've witnessed and seen like how can I make this worse (laughs) how can I put (laughs) this on someone else Uh Um, I think that it's it it has become just a way to just navigate the world and to maybe understand it um, by maybe twisting it a little bit or uh, exaggerating it yeah. in these senses, or putting maybe something like a little bit magical mm-hmm. on it. Um, these these situations that are so realistic and so happening every day, and make, maybe making them a little a little more fun in a, in a way to take ownership too, yeah, absolutely, it, or to take like obviously, like I want to use the word like authorial, but to mm-hmm. take um, you are clearly the writer of the story, and you get to make whatever you want happen happen. Right which is unlike our lives mm-hmm. as we are. Yeah. And maybe there's a sense of kind of empowerment that happens. Absolutely. That I think that any for anyone writing is a form of, of power. It's a form of, of creating something, of, of throwing a few words together, and then suddenly uh, here we are in this new world that's on paper. Yeah, so um, you've already alluded a bit to your background um, as both a veteran and a transgender person. Um, Can you say more about your upbringing and how you sort of came to knowing that you wanted to be a writer as well? Yeah, I 
luckily for me, um, and sorry for all the people who like went to, uh, you know, did their general education for like four years before figuring out, I've always known I wanted to be a writer. <laughs> uh, I remember writing like some short story about blue aliens in the third grade, and a teacher told me that it was really good. And I grew up with learned disabilities, so once they told me that I was good at writing, I was like, there it is. That's mm-hmm. what I'm going to do. We're moving forward. Um, but I did grow up, um, like I mentioned, I was a second, I am the second oldest of uh, five children with a single mom. And growing up was, especially as one of the oldest, was difficult in the acknowledging and the um, always being aware of our how tight our financial situation was. Um, my mom would work really late hours she had three jobs um she 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 worked herself uh to make sure that we had what we had even if it was little it was something um and so growing up with just that understanding that and understanding that uh what you worked for was what you had right um i we talked a little bit about the difference between um being raised um as as a, in, in poverty and being raised maybe with a little bit more um, is that when, when you're when you're raised in, in poverty, you when you enter the world, you enter with nothing um, besides um, you know any lessons you've learned, um, no credit, no no bank account. Uh, when you and then on the other hand, when you um, grow up um, well off, there's a chance that you enter the world with a bit more um, and then you get a bit more ahead, but. Um, so I, I I knew that uh, I, w- I was going to be behind than a lot of people that I knew, uh, and so when I was seventeen, mm-hmm. um, ref- in April of a, uh, uh, <laughs> I, I before I even graduated from high school, I signed up for the military, mm-hmm. um, and a few months later, uh, I got shipped off to basic military training. I was in the Air Force Reserves, so I really, I, I wasn't out there in the mud, sure. um, but I did serve for uh, six years, and then. I I always I, like I said I always knew I'm going to be a writer so there but I knew that in order to get there I'm just going to have to make some drastic decisions. Did you did you have any time to be a writer while you were there? Um I, luckily I was able to um because of being military I was able to you know go to community college and then I got my bachelor's um in English uh with a minor in creative writing. But unfortunately I was medical logistics uh which isn't a very creative job. <laughs> um I was working in military hospitals um, so unfortunately me and the military did part our ways amicably somewhat. Um, <laughs> but I, yeah. And so I was able to, after that, because of my military experience, um, I was able to, um, find myself at a status different than being, um, you know, just a poor person that grew up in a, in a, you know, a small town in Missouri. Um, even though, that the the military me didn't agree too much. Um, my status as veteran has assisted me in ways that um, that, that has assists a lot of people. There's uh, when I was in um, the military, I didn't know too many people who signed up just because they love this country. Yep. Most people was because in the military you get a house, in the military you get health insurance, mm-hmm. in the military mm-hmm. you can send money back home to your family, um, and that's that's kind of how they get you uh, a lot of the times, especially, you know, I was a 17-year-old with uh, no high school diploma, and they they still wrote me in. So They sure did, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'm looking forward to hopefully some of those stories making their way into a fictional world. 
Yeah, I, I wish, you know, I don't have the most uh, epic military stories, oh. but I mean, I can exaggerate and, oh, yeah. you know, that's what yeah. I do as a writer. Good, the good news is you're an excellent writer, an yes. excellent storyteller. Fiction teller. writer, yeah. yes. And that's, <laughs> the, the fiction is the main point. <laughs> I wanted to go back to high school um, because there was something you told us earlier about an essay that you wrote um, in a high school, and it makes me think of this, another kind of genre of like uh, poverty fiction which is kind of the story of like the exceptional hero who makes it who like maybe it's that whole like bootstraps like pulling yes. themselves up upward mobility and that also is something that you are not interested in uh replicating no Can you tell us yeah. about that essay um if you go onto the Winslow School District Facebook page, um, you can find a story called I Believe in Not Being the Smart Kid. Mm -hmm. um, that was actually my first, like, debut. I That got, like, uh, like 75,000 views. I got, like, Amazing. I, you know, almost 2 million. But, <laughs> but that story was, it was when I was, we had to write an essay for class, and I was, I, I was, I was taking the ACT at that time, um, and I was getting low scores because I grew up with learned disabilities and I grew up in, in a in a school district, as a lot of poor people do, where like there's just not a lot there for us. And I was getting really upset because I was thinking a lot about stories I was reading at that time about how there's like this one super exceptional, either they're smart, they're talented or they're just lucky and they get plucked out of this situation that I found myself in with so many of my other classmates and I, I decided that I did not want to write about those those that one really lucky person or that one magically smart person mm -hmm. um, I wonder about everyone else and what everyone else was doing now that you know you have that that Harry Potter character yeah who is the chosen, chosen one, one. Yep. like th for one every one chosen one there's like two billion not chosen people who yeah. have to like just go through their day and work hard to get what they need to get so yeah that makes a lot of sense well joseph should we turn to our three questions i think so yeah, yeah. so uh we let you know ahead of, hand, ahead of time but we on the show have a couple of traditions that we usually like to close with um the first of which is we ask you to give a p or, or we say what is your favorite part about uh, your writing and what you do about my writing specifically um, I think my favorite part that it, it does allow me an outlet to understand the world and I hope that in that way it allows my readers an outlet to either understand their own world or maybe to understand me a little bit um, I also I, I love to I want to make people cry and laugh and I want people to feel so I hope that I make people either laugh or cry. I'm okay with either. Yeah. <laughs> just a strong emotion. Yeah, just yeah. <laughs> I would say something. like shuddering is in there. Like, yeah. like whoa, that yeah. that's an ex that's Some an emotion awe. I experience when I'm reading your your writing for sure. Um, and then another thing we like to do is um, ask you to give a piece of advice to anybody. Um, anybody. It could be you like you, yourself at a younger age. It could be somebody who's interested in following path similar that you do it could be somebody struggling um in, in poverty or or whatever the case may be yeah i think that my advice just to uh like as anyone who is was in my situation when i was younger where it's just the idea of like there's no way out of this um 
and I've definitely found myself like, you know, it the 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 advice is that it's it's gonna dip back down. There's gonna be like hills and valleys in your bank account. <laughs> um, there's been times where I felt more secure, and then I decided to take a risk, and I felt a way less secure. And I think of, I think of people living pay- paycheck to paycheck, and just the idea that like it's gonna be okay, it's okay. Go get that burger, mm-hmm. you know, like it's gonna come back. <laughs> and before we go to our outro song, I realized that. I, we also didn't talk so much about what your life in the program and outside of the program mm-hmm. is like here at OSU. Yeah. So can you give us a sense of what kind of classes are you taking? What are your responsibilities um, within the program and outside of the program? Yeah, my uh, I am a student teacher parent. Mm-hmm. Um, I am um, the guardian of my six-year-old sister, which is why my advice is that sometimes you're going to make a choice that makes your bank account a little smaller, but that it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I brought my youngest sister, Ava, out here to uh, Corrales to live with me, um, and we were hanging out. Um, yeah. And I'm that that's the biggest thing for me is because I, I, I want her to, one, be able to see that I'm in, I'm able to do it. I was able to move out to Oregon, and mm-hmm. that she... Like she's she's already she's already doing everything she needs to do yeah, to be on the Missouri. right track. I don't know if we said that. Yeah, yeah from Missouri, thirty six hour car ride was not fun. Um, and yeah, and then um, of course you know I I'm a workaholic um, by blood DNA. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do have a job at a daycare as well as I'm the G- a GTA here. So composition one everyone's favorite class I oh, teach yeah. that and then I also do like DoorDash on the side and do like little side jobs for some extra cash so. and is teaching something that's new for you or have you done that before it's not it's I've been teaching for a very long time my first job was as a gymnastics instructor when I was 16 at the YMCA I did not do gymnastics I was about to ask no no I did not do not gymnastics a coach. at all <laughs> not a, no I, I taught three hours how to do somersaults great wow um so yeah I I do I enjoy working um with children I always have I mean as a one of the oldest of five I've been babysitting since I was born um but and yeah, so I, I do teach. That's definitely one of the reasons I wanted to get a master's degree so that I could continue having um, at least uh, the ability to teach if I desired to go that that route in life. And let me sneak one last little question in here. <laughs> Where do you like to write? When do you like to write? That's a good question that um, I'm learning. Mm-hmm. I wish that I could be a coffee like shop writer mm-hmm. with like my little latte mm-hmm. but uh my adhd won't allow me to do that so i definitely am a uh like 10 p.m uh like hunched over in my chair Ooh, like a goblin yeah, um writer <laughs> writing mode. at okay. my desk that's where all the ideas come in right before i'm supposed to go to sleep excellent great <laughs> well elliot it's been such a delight to have you here and to talk to you and to just kind of get to know your writing and your process and your thought behind all of your incredible work deeper. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for being here. Um, and with that, I think we will go into the, your song. Um, but do you want to say a bit about what song you chose? Yeah, I chose work song. Um, it When I write, I always have some sort of song in the back of my head. And so Work Song by Hosier is definitely the uh, inspiration for a warehouse song, mm-hmm. um, just about um, 
a working man who can be interpreted a bunch of different ways, but his love um, keeps him working. Thank you so much, Elliot. It's been a true delight to talk with you tonight. Thank you very much. When my time comes around, lay me gently in the cold dark earth. No grave can hold my body down. I'll crawl home to her. Boys, when my baby found me, I was three days on a drunken sin. Thank you for listening. If you want to support the show, tell your friends about it and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at KBVRID. This theme music was performed by the OSU Drumline and the intro jingle was created by Olin Hamat. Special thanks to the supporting staff at KBVR that allow the show and podcast to be possible. This show was started by Jean Kamvar and Joey Hulbert in 2012. To learn about our current hosts, other graduate students at Oregon State, or if you want to be part of the show, visit our website at blogs.oregonstate.edu inspiration. Thanks again for listening, and stay curious, my friends.